Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm very excited about my hour. I um, called Paul Carden, I don't know, about five or six weeks ago and pleaded with him to come on the show. And he said, yes, I'd be happy to. He was very nice about it. So I'm very excited. He's uh, written a number of books and he talks about the uh, the occult and cults. And he's written a pamphlet. It's in pamphlet form called Christianity, Cults and Religions, a side-by-side comparison chart um, of 20 cults, and I must say, this is something you just you got to have in your in your repertoire of things and resources because it just lays it out so nicely. And he's going to be uh, with me today for the whole hour. We're going to open up the phone lines as well and give you a chance to ask questions about cults and the occult. And he's done quite a bit of study and research on it. So I love uh, Colossians 2:8. It says, "See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy." which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. So we're going to stay focused on the main thing, which is Jesus. So we'll take a little break and then bring on uh, Paul Carden in just a minute. The mission of Faith Radio is to lead people to Christ and nurture believers in their faith through Christ-centered media. So in everything that we do and in every program that we air, we want to lift up Jesus and make him known. It's your prayer and financial partnership that equip us to accomplish this mission. So thank you for your ongoing support and investment in this ministry. To make a gift today, call 877-93-FAITH. Faith Radio's live show hosts are connecting with many great authors, pastors, and teachers every day. A wide variety of important and helpful topics are being discussed and blessing listeners. Because you can't always listen live, we offer the Faith Radio newsletter. The newsletter highlights some of the best recent interviews, articles, and giveaways. Sign up to receive the Faith Radio newsletter under subscriptions at myfaithradio.com. Welcome to the show. Paul Carden has devoted over 30 years of his life to cult-related research and outreach. And he's done that in places like Latin America, Africa, Eastern Europe, and the former Soviet Union. Um, he is in good company. He's co-hosted the um, Nationwide Bible Answer Man broadcast with people like Ron Rhodes and Ken Sap- Samples, who are regular guests on the show. So I'm absolutely delighted to invite him onto the show uh, for the full hour. So, Paul, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I have had such uh, such a um, great time looking over your uh, book and the pamphlet in particular because it's it's so succinct and it lays it out so nicely. It's really nicely done. Thanks. Yeah, we've uh, we, we've we've tried to create resources that the average person will find genuinely useful, balancing what the average person wants to know 
and what the average person we think needs to know beyond uh, the things they may have encountered that might stimulate their curiosity, but that may not give them any kind of structured understanding of what kinds of groups they're they're dealing with mm-hmm. day to day. Paul, if you were to ask the average Christian on the street and say, tell me about, um, with some detail, any cult, you name it, um, I would guess they would go, huh, well, I don't. I don't know if I can tell you much. Do you think that would be the answer? Well, it's very interesting because, you know, having been in this field about 40 years now, uh, you know, interest in cults sort of waxes and wanes, as mm-hmm. it does with so many other things in life. And I, I'd say that we're experiencing uh, a great surge of uh, in public interest in cults. I think that Leah Remini and her series on Scientology mm-hmm. has had a very great deal to do with that. Not only because it's not only widely watched; it's an award-winning program, right? And she's expanded her uh, investigations into other groups like uh, the Twelve Tribes, Je- Jehovah's Witnesses, and so forth. You have documentaries like Wild Wild Country on Netflix about the Rajneesh group. You have uh, feature films coming out about Jehovah's Witnesses and a, a lot of exposés, tell-all stories. So really, uh, people might know more today of the average person on the street than might have uh, uh, been the case in just four or five years past. Wow, that's really interesting. Now, we started with bringing up Scientology, and Mary Baker Eddy founded that. That was in about 18... 18- mm, you, know, you know, with all due respect, yeah. uh, there, there are some groups, because of the similarities of their names, people easily confuse them. So the Latter-day Saints, for example, are the Mormons. The Seventh-day Adventists are a different group. Scientology was founded by L. Ron Hubbard in 1950. Christian Science was founded by Mary Baker Eddy in the 19th century. Okay. Isn't that what I said? They're very different systems of belief. Isn't that what I said? Uh, no, you, you said Scientology and Mary Baker Eddy, and I, I don't want to just oh, oh, oh. Uh, um, frivolously correct the host. No, 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 no. Um, that's Christian Science, isn't it? Mary Baker Christian Eddy. Christian Science is Mary Baker Eddy. Yes, right. I'm just trying to get things organized in my brain right now. So let's, oh, right. Yeah, yeah, thank you for correcting me, because um, I, I, um, I'm just slightly confused right now, because I was looking over some of these in, in advance, and Scientology was L. Ron Hubbard, right? And that was in the 50s? Yes. Yes. Okay. Now, um, if you were to stop anyone and say, tell me about Scientology, they would probably refer to Tom Cruise or John Travolta, not about, the, princi- possibly. Not, not about the principles of Scientology. But tell our listeners a little bit about Scientology. So Scientology uh, began as, a, as an attempt by L. Ron Hubbard to come up with a, a – a method by which people could gain mastery of life. That's not the expression he used, but uh, as with other so-called human potential groups, Mm -hmm. the goal is to become uh, a a more able and powerful human being. And the, the technology that the spiritual technology that Hubbard developed over a period of quite a few years, uh, over decades, really, uh, involves knowing one's spiritual reality, knowing uh, what you are, knowing what holds you back spiritually, and what can free you from those limitations and make you 
a kind of super being. And mm-hmm. at the core of this is a belief that people have lived many, many, many lifetimes, uh, will live many, many more, and that there are invisible beings called thetans who attach themselves uh, to you invisibly. Uh, you've got to know the circumstances under which they became attached to you. You have to know through uh, exclusive Scientology methods how to get rid of them so that you will be able to enjoy a fuller life and uh, be able to perform supernatural feats and uh, go on uh, improving forever and ever. So, Paul, do the removal of these Thetans uh, involve an exchange of uh, U.S. currency? (laughs) Um, It's kind of hard to achieve without uh, paying some... uh, some fees to Scientology, and depending on how far you go up the so-called bridge to total freedom, it can easily run into the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Not many people make it to that level, but you can imagine they're receiving constant encouragement from people within the organization to take a step further and further and further, buy more materials, undergo more uh, more so-called Scientology counseling or auditing. So, yeah, it's not free. Right. Not free. Is one of the features of Scientology personal excellence? Uh, in principle, mm-hmm. yes. They, they don't. They don't state it in exactly those words. But yeah, if if you uh, are a, a practicing observant, you know, uh, Scientologist conforming to uh, Scientology tech and ethics and so forth. Indeed, you are to become an excellent person in every respect. Yeah, a friend of mine uh, used to run the Scientology, uh, what is it, the church here? He was in charge of something uh, here in Minneapolis, uh, and he moved to Nashville, but um, extremely excellent in everything he did. And I think there was a certain quality about him that was kind of inspirational as much as I really want to do everything I do with excellence, and he modeled that. Um, So that was always kind of interesting to me, but... The whole the whole Scientology thing just seems so completely. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, Paul? Uh, it's antithetical to Christianity. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, yes. I prefer you use the words. Yes, exactly, exactly. All right. I know there's going to be lots of listeners that would have questions uh, for Paul about uh, cults or the occult. And if you have a question, let me know what it is. Send me a text at eight seven seven. Nine three three two four eight four, or you can email me bill at myfaithradio.com uh, Paul Carden is my guest we'll take a very short break and be right back Uh, Paul Carden on the line. We're talking about uh, occults and cults. And he, Paul, tell me a little bit about the Center for Apologetics Research. So um, it's actually centers plural. Uh, we, I oversee a network of ministries in various parts mm-hmm. of the world, as you said, the former Soviet Union, Eastern Europe, uh, East and Southern Africa, and uh, we are helping Christians to grow in biblical discernment. We believe that. Discernment is 
something that Jesus was promoting in the Great Commission, because the Great Commission is a call to discipleship. And as we read the, the books of the New Testament, we see that in every single book, there are warnings about false teachers and false teachings and exhortations for Christians to know the difference between truth and error and to be able to defend the faith for once for all delivered to the saints. And so our mission is to help equip believers in parts of the world where resources for this are severely limited. Uh, for example, we just opened a branch in uh, southern Africa in Zambia to equip Christians in that part of the world because apologetics of this nature is absolutely new in that part of the world. It's hard to believe that almost no one has been helping pastors especially to be able to uh, properly warn their flocks and train them to be able to distinguish between truth and error as First uh, Thessalonians 5 exhorts us to do. Mm-hmm. And do you have a PhD? Should I, should I be calling you Dr. Paul Carden? Absolutely not. I am an anomaly. Oh. Uh, I work with people who have doctorates and master's degrees. Uh, I myself uh, have, uh, have learned through uh, careful work and hard experience and uh, you know, much study. I love it. So, no, I am, I'm not an academic, uh, but, but I work in the company of and highly respect people who do have that, those formal credentials. As do I. And I even respect more the hard workers like yourself that, that um, does the, the hard work on your own. Yeah, well, it's, it's great to have mentors. Of course, of course. <laughs> and I, I started out working with Walter Martin of the Christian Research Institute, who passed away 30 years ago last month. And uh, But for him, uh, I might be a file clerk somewhere. Right. So let's talk about Islam. That's a big one. Um, I don't know if we understand uh, it very well, and I'd love to learn more about it. Yeah, well, and when it comes to Islam... Uh, the, the pamphlet, the Christianity, Cults, and Religions pamphlet, and the World Religions Easy, Made Easy book uh, really will help the average person to get clear on some fundamental uh, concepts of Islam, uh, the main distinctions between Sunni and Shia Islam, and how Christianity and Islam uh, are different in very, very important ways, ways that matter a great deal to Christians. I mean, for example, Islam teaches that the Christian Bible is not the Word of God. Islam teaches that we are not born sinners, that Jesus is not God, but is only a great prophet, that he did not die on the cross for our sins, that he did not rise from the dead. I mean, Islam is largely constructed on the basis of a systematic denial of principal Christian truths, wow. uh, substituted with uh, Claims such as uh, the one that you must believe in the prophet Muhammad to have any hope of salvation. So, what is the attraction to Islam? Uh, Islam the attraction to Islam varies uh, with uh, the the individual, of course, but also with uh, the culture and the, and the setting in which Islam is being promoted. Of course, there are many millions of people who have no no choice in whether to accept or reject Islam. It's difficult to change your religion in a place like Saudi Arabia or Afghanistan. But here in the West, Islam can be appealing because uh, becoming a Muslim seems very simple. Uh, it is uh, a religion that seems to be very welcoming of all races, all cultures, all peoples. Uh, 
it's a religion that uh, has very clear lists of do's and don'ts. Uh, Muslims seem very often to be very, very courageous and uh, and forthright in asserting and defending their beliefs. And uh, so, you know, th- these are factors, I think, for, for many in the West. It's, uh, it's, it's something exotic, but not is so far from home as something, let's say, like uh, uh, Tibetan Buddhism. Mm-hmm. It's a lived faith, for sure. It's not just a theory. It's something that people are, are carrying out in community. Okay. Now, Allah is one and absolutely unique, and he cannot be known. And then I was reading in your in your book that the greatest sin in Islam is shirk, a word I've never heard before, or associating anything with Allah. Right. Right. So, yeah, Islam, Allah is not a knowable being. It's very interesting and it's very significant that in Christianity, uh, we can not only know God as Father, but uh, we, we, we approach him personally. We, we call him by uh, intimate names, not, not only Father, but even that uh, very special word, Abba, mm-hmm. which can be translated Daddy. Uh, the the uh, the God of Islam is impossibly remote, and uh, so somebody who would move away from a Christian worldview to a Muslim worldview is uh, is losing a lot, and that is just uh, just the beginning. Um, I'm just trying to think, though, any God other than Jesus uh, is going to leave you feeling empty and alone. Yet you're you're so busy praying five times a day. Where's the where's the joy? Where's the the fulfillment. Where's the connection? I mean, again, some people uh, get uh, find satisfaction, find a, a measure of peace in uh, in community in Islam. That they are all bound uh, to the same principles. That they are all pursuing the same spiritual goals. That they are part of a uh, a worldwide family of. Uh, the followers of Muhammad, mm-hmm. of seekers of, of Allah. Uh, now, does that get old? Uh, it certainly can, uh, but but people are different, uh, and it's. I try to be careful about generalizing when it comes to people's experience of these things. Uh, what's satisfying for one is, uh, is is empty for another, and in the end, it's it's only the sovereign God who opens the eyes and helps people to see who he really is. Mm-hmm. Paul, a listener uh, wrote in and said, what is the law of attraction in Abraham Hicks? Is this a cult? Okay, the law of attraction is uh, is, is something uh, very important to understand uh, because uh, it's become very popular through the writings of Rhonda Byrne, uh, who put out that book and the video series called The Secret, which has become kind of a mini uh, publishing phenomenon of its own, basically the law of attraction is the belief that thoughts are magnetic, that they have a frequency, uh, that by concentrating your attention on certain desires for extended periods of time, you basically have the potential of gaining whatever you want. So this can work positively, right, to attract prosperity, to attract what you desire, have the universe at your beck and call to make stuff happen that you like. Mm -hmm. But if, if you aren't careful, you can also attract 
negative things. And so we see this operating not only in the sort of new age and occult realm, but we see a very uh, closely related phenomenon in what's called the prosperity gospel or the word faith movement, where people are taught that uh, there's power in their words that can attract uh, blessing and cursing, good and evil, that the same principle applies both to followers of Jesus Christ and to uh, non-believers, that it's uh, a kind of uh, universal cosmic force. And you see this reflected at times in the preaching of Joel Osteen, uh, Kenneth Hagin, uh, Kenneth Copeland, other very well-known people in that realm. And it's something that Christians need to be aware of and avoid. Paul, is, I appreciate your answer on that. Is there a, What's the difference between Islam and Nation of Islam? Is that the same thing? No, certainly not. Um, and it's, it's easy to be confused by those things because uh, Islam has a variety of expressions, and it's important to, uh, to make distinctions. Nation of Islam is, is kind of a weird American cult. It's, it doesn't have much of a following outside of uh, the 50 United States. People may have heard of Louis Farrakhan, mm-hmm. who's, who's the current leader of the Nation of Islam, a uh, very, very powerful orator, uh, very outspoken uh, enemy of Jews and Israel, uh, somebody who uh, quite easily uh, attacks uh, non-followers of his particular brand of religion of uh, racism. Uh, but this is based not on the Quran, though the Quran is sometimes invoked, and reference is even made to uh, biblical teachings at times in the nation of Islam, but it's really founded on the teachings of Elijah Muhammad, who died in 1975. Uh, they teach that God is a black man that Allah does not refer to just one unitary being, as in classical Islam, but millions of Allahs have lived and died since creation, and that collectively the black race is God. And it gets weirder from there. <laughs> I was about to say, and I think in the end uh, with the Nation of Islam, there is no consciousness or any spiritual existence after death. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, it, it's very interesting to see what central teachings of Christianity uh, certain groups uh, elect to uh, distort or deny. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they have removed any, any real hope uh, after this, uh, this natural lifetime. Mm-hmm. Paul Carden is my guest, and he's written a book on Christianity and cults and religions, and we're chatting with him about that. You must have a question. Let us know what it is. We'll try to tackle it. 877-933-2484 is the number. That's a phone call or a text. You can also email me, Bill, at MyFaithRadio.com. I'll ask on your behalf. We'll take a short break and be right back. the show. I have Paul Carden on our studio line today. He's the executive director of the Centers 
for apologetics research, and he's written a book, several books, but he's been focusing for the past 30 or 40 years on cult-related research and outreach, and he's been all over the world with it, and the book that uh, I have gotten my hands on uh, is a nice little condensed uh, book. It's a nice pamphlet laid out beautifully that helps you uh, understand all the different kinds of cults there is, or the top 20, I should say. And, Paul, when we look at, uh, let's say, Judaism, for example, uh, we are feeling very connected to Jewish people, um, and yet they're awfully stubborn when it comes to seeing Jesus as the Messiah. Um, What do we say to them? Um, To persuade them that Jesus is the Messiah? Yes. Um, Well, again, uh, and, and I would say this, in relation to witnessing to anybody who has a set of uh, religious convictions other than Christianity, we need to get to know what they believe individually about whatever system they claim to follow, whether mm-hmm. it's Scientology or Judaism. Um, I'm not being evasive with you, but I just find that that uh, as valuable as it is to have general information about different religious groups, and uh, we're talking very much about that today, it's, it's important to know what the individual believes about, for example, Judaism. Uh, were they raised in Judaism? What kind of Judaism mm-hmm. uh, do they uh, do they relate to or belong to in some fashion? Uh, do they have any particular hope? What do they particularly like about Judaism? What do they think the Bible says about the Messiah? And what does the Bible say about Jesus Christ in particular, if they believe there is any content that identifies him. And going through some diagnostic questions, some you know, careful uh, in- inquiring after the convictions that, uh, that the person holds will-, will help you avoid a lot of false assumptions and generalizations and get to the heart of the matter, because uh, not everybody formally adopts or accepts all the beliefs that they uh, that their religion may affirm and so if they if they think that the bible the old testament is reliable then it's great that you can approach them on that basis and talk to them about uh, all the evidence for the trustworthiness of the old testament So that when you get to Isaiah chapter 53, for example, which talks about the suffering servant and is the most vivid prophetic description of of the atoning work of Christ in the Old Testament, that hopefully you're on the same page. Because if they think that the Bible is really mythological bunk, even though they may outwardly observe some Jewish uh, customs and Mm -hmm. so forth, then uh, you'll be just spinning your wheels. Mm I mean, m- many Jews are atheistic, you know. Right, and they're and, lo- and many are cultural Jews. They're just identify as a Jew, but they don't worship. That's right. So, so getting to know the person and doing some homework in advance about Judaism and so forth uh, is really what will prepare you to begin a conversation that can lead to pointing to Jesus as their only hope. Mm-hmm. Paul, well, here in Minnesota, we've got uh, a world headquarters. There's the Temple of Ek, which is Ek and Ka, uh-huh. and which they say is the light and sound of God. 
And you do a lot of soul travel in Ekankar. You travel to the temples of golden wisdom in your dreams and get trained and educated. Yeah, this is a this is a group that in the the 1980s kind of burst upon the consciousness of evangelicals through uh, writings published by the Spiritual Counterfeits Project in Berkeley, very influential ministry at that time, and uh, and they they challenged Ekankar on a number of levels. Uh, they they said that the founder of Ekankar, Paul Twitchell, was a plagiarist, uh, that he had stolen a great deal of his material. And uh, that it was not just the fruit of his uh, mystical uh, travels through the various uh, soul planes. Um, Ekankar is a very quiet group. Uh, it's you know when, when it comes to town, people aren't afraid that uh, you know they're they're going to be dead chickens by the roadside and and horror stories in the press. Uh, it's 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 uh, it's a group that is based in a, a form of Eastern religion. Uh, the Sant Mat tradition, and uh, the the booklet explains pretty clearly what's going on there, but it's 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 a bit bizarre. Mm-hmm. It's a bit. So, can you explain? A listener wants to know. Can you explain more about the Unitarian Universalist Church? Is that a cult? Um, and by the way, that is a group that is not. Uh, covered in uh, any of the materials that I've been involved with here okay. uh, with Rose Publishing or Hendrickson. But yeah. uh, Unitarian Universalism has just sort of become, how do I say this? I, I don't want to sound disrespectful or dismissive, but it's it's become uh, a denomination that uh, has a place for almost any religious uh, preference or tendency, but Biblical Christianity. There are atheistic Unitarian Universalists. There are, uh, you know, neo-pagan uh, Unitarian Universalists. Uh, it's very accommodating of anything but biblical Christianity. Uh, it's it the the body is a is a merger between uh, the Unitarians uh, who who are a very old movement within Christianity, believing that. Uh, God is one uh, in the sense of absolutely rejecting the biblical doctrine of the Trinity. And universalism, of course, is the belief that uh, ultimately everyone gets saved. Everyone is reconciled to God. And I I can't tell you uh, off the top of my head at what point those two bodies merged. But as the years have gone by, they've become increasingly liberal. And uh, so uh, any Christian who stumbles into a Unitarian service uh, without much preparation, might be shocked at uh, what they affirm and what they reject. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul, would you comment on The Course in Miracles, the Marianne Williamson book? Right. Course in Miracles, and of course, Marianne Williamson is uh, is running for president, mm-hmm. and there is a, an article in uh, the New York Times recently, a feature article about Williamson, and the influence of uh, Course in Miracles, which is a New Age text that was channeled, which is to say received through automatic writing, via a woman named Helen Shookman. And I hope I'm pronouncing that name correctly, um, because I've, I've not uh, dealt with that. But but the Course in Miracles is uh, is a spiritual guide to, to growth. I can't go into a lot of 
depth and detail on it because it's uh, it's not been a focus of my attention in uh, my work overseas. Uh, there's a lot of very good material on Course of Miracles, especially from uh, the Christian writer and former astrologist Marcia Montenegro, mm-hmm. whose work on all things New Age I highly recommend, and who is, by the way, the, a consultant for these publications that I worked on. But um, yeah, Course in Miracles is fundamental to the message of Marianne Williamson. Mm-hmm. And, and looking for that New York Times article that appeared just within the last three weeks or so will be very enlightening for people. Mm-hmm. Whatever happened to the Hare Krishnas? Well, they, uh, in, in some ways, they really straightened themselves out. Uh, back in the 70s and 80s, uh, they were very aggressive very confrontational. Uh, they were involved in some very bad things, uh, including uh, drugs and arms, uh, child abuse, and they have worked very hard in the last 20, 30 years to clean up their act, uh, to, uh, to become a much more respectable, law-abiding uh, religion. They did not go away, but they will not uh, confront you as aggressively on the street corner or in an airport somewhere, as uh, as they famously did once upon a time, but they still hold to their peculiar view, uh, their peculiar variety of Hinduism. They are very much focused on the interpretations of their, their founder, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, who died in 1977. It really is very much about Prabhupada and his teachings about a particular avatar, a particular expression of God uh, known to us as Krishna. And um, it's uh, it's focused on uh, Japa Yoga and uh, very much has to do with spiritual disciplines in order to gain uh, the best incarnation in the next life and the next and the next. Um, it, it can be very appealing to people who don't know how it really works, but uh, very crushing and binding to people who, who eventually realize that, uh, that, that there is no life in it ultimately and that uh, they, they can spend uh, all their time practically uh, serving dead idols. Wow. Another listener, Paul, said, can you please explain ontology? Someone she uh, met in a coffee shop, talking to her about that, and um, I asked whether they believed in the Trinity, and he was uh, apparently convincing. Uh, So is this a cult? Ontology? Mm Mm-hmm. I believe that ontology is uh, the philosophical study of being. It is. Uh, It's it's, it's, it's not... A cult per se. It's, uh, it's, a, it's, 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 a, it's a category of uh, of knowledge, of philosophical inquiry, just as theology is a realm of study. Okay. Um, so it's it's not there's there's nothing sinister, sinister about ontology broadly speaking. Uh, I'm not aware of any groups that uh, define themselves as peculiarly ontological. Uh, I don't think anyone's appropriated that word for. A specific sect that they're promoting. Okay. And one little quick question before we go to break um, from a listener. I've heard Pokemon 
has demonic roots. Other Christians claim this is bogus. Your thoughts? True confession. I've never had anything to do with Pokemon. <laughs> uh, I, I've okay. only observed it from afar. Yeah. And, and, I mean, are, are, are there, you know, okay, Pokemon is rooted in uh, some Japanese cultural elements um, that, that could be discussed. Uh, but uh, uh, whether it's, you know, demonic, I, I think we need to be very careful about assigning that term to things without more of an understanding of, of how that would actually work. Is, is all untruth demonic? Well, in a certain sense, of course. Uh, anything that, that draws us away from a relationship with the true God of Scripture uh, has demonic uh, uh, involvement and endorsement. But but we, we need to just not throw that label on everything that's, that's not right. Mm, I agree. Paul Carden is my guest. He is the executive director for the Centers for Apologetics Research. We'll take a little break. When we come back, uh, we'll have more with Paul. If you have a question, let us know what it is, 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Or you can email me, bill, at myfaithradio.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. Paul Cardin is my guest. He's written a number of books. The one we're kind of chatting about is Christianity, Cults, and Religions. Awfully fun to learn about this. And Paul, you're a wonderful guest and a great resource on all of this. I got a a text from a listener. Do Mormons believe in the Bible? Okay, by the way, before before that, I just want to mention for your listener, there was a name I was hunting for mentally during an earlier part of our conversation. Mm Mm-hmm. Dr. Alan Gomes okay. of uh, Talbot, Talbot, G-O-M-E-S okay. of uh, Talbot School of Theology at Biola, he really is the go-to guy for anything having to do with uh, Unitarian Universalism. Awesome. Thanks for that little uh, added uh, bonus. Yeah, well, okay. So the Mormons make use of the Bible, and they believe it uh, in, in, in a way that is not uh, faithful to its true meaning. Uh, Mormons are told that the Bible is uh, is uh, a flawed book. It's 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 a it's a helpful and inspiring, uh, useful book, but but not as trustworthy as the unique Mormon scriptures, such as the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, the Pearl of Great Price, because Mormonism uh, promotes the idea of a general apostasy uh, and the need for a restoration of primitive Christianity. Mm-hmm. and its priesthoods and so forth, it's very important for Mormonism to affirm that uh, that conventional Christianity, biblical Christianity, as you and I understand it, is, is, is flawed, uh, damaged, uh, lacking many things that have been uh, lost or suppressed over the centuries. And so uh, the Bible is kind of a springboard. For Mormonism, uh, it it gives a basis, a kind of legitimization for their later writings of Scripture, produced mainly through Joseph Smith. Uh, but of course, uh, the reality is that uh, the Bible is the trustworthy book, and the Mormon Scriptures are absolutely 
not, but by uh, diminishing the Bible as as it does, Mormonism seeks to uh, limit the, the extent to which uh, their unique Mormon scriptures can be tested by the Bible. And you know, as we're commanded in First Thessalonians five, you know, we are to test all things, hold fast to what is good, and to avoid every appearance of evil. And this specifically applies to revelation. How do we know that the revelation that's being presented to us by someone claiming to be God's messenger is true or false? Well, we weigh it against what God has said already. If we have a faithful account of what God has communicated to mankind already, then we can hold the two things up side by side and say, hmm, uh, what God has said before is, uh, is markedly different from what is being affirmed by this new source. And when Mormonism is put to the test of the Bible, uh, it's found wanting. So that's very important when you witness to a Mormon to have a solid grasp of the reasons why we place so much faith in the integrity and authority of Scripture. Mm-hmm. So, Paul, another listener said, um, the God is love movement. I don't even know what that is. Gosh, uh, it's uh, it's hard to know with any without any other particulars of what uh, the inquirer is after. Uh, of course, the Bible teaches that God is love; that this is one of His uh, defining attributes. But a God is love movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would need more information. Uh, it's like people come to me and they say, hey, have you heard of the Church of God? And I'm thinking, okay, there are dozens and dozens of very different groups right. employing that name. Right. Uh, I, I need to go a couple steps you know, I get uh, that. closer. Yeah, maybe the <laughs> listener will add a little bit more information in. So what kind of cults seems to be gaining in popularity in the world today? Okay, well, the world uh, is, of course, uh, a very big place. Uh, looking looking at North America and what we could call uh, the, the the post-Christian West, you could even include Western Europe, Australia, New Zealand. Um, uh, it's 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 hard to say at any given moment which things are are gaining in popularity because people have access to almost everything through the internet. They can join. A cult with that that started yesterday, on the other side of the world, mm-hmm. uh, th- or they can join something that is thousands of years old, that has millions of followers, and and so quantifying the growth of certain groups, unless they're very well defined, like the Seventh Day Adventists or the Mormons or the Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, is 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 kind of tricky. Uh, there's definitely been a shift in uh, in North America toward. Eastern religions, uh, more more pagan religions, interest is growing, but it's hard to pin down exact numbers. Uh, Pew Research is usually good as a source for statistical information and trends. Uh, Interest in Buddhism has definitely been growing in the West, though there probably are not more than a couple of million, uh, two or three million, I would think, serious Buddhists here in the United States, not people who are just dabbling or who might informally call themselves uh, 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 warm to Buddhism or, mm-hmm. or, or, or interested 
but people who are seriously practicing some expression of, of Buddhism, and many of those are immigrants, mm-hmm. frankly. Um, it looks like Mormonism is tapering off uh, in its uh, growth in uh, in much of the world. Uh, it's I I have to admit to you that I resist generalizing, even though it's a valid question. Right. All right. Um, I've got a little add-on. The God of Love movement is it, apparently it just diminishes his judgment. Knowing God loves me is all that matters. So you don't really have to worry about obedience or judgment. Okay. Well, what, whatever is being promoted and by whomever it's being mm-hmm. promoted, it, it, it almost sounds like a kind of antinomianism, uh, uh, a view that uh, that uh, there really are no uh, boundaries, no restrictions, nothing that that we cannot do because uh, grace covers whatever sins of uh, of the heart, any uh, sins uh, carried out in a, in a practical form that, that that you might indulge if you've trusted in Christ, if you believe in uh, in the biblical God in some fashion, that all of it is covered and. There is no judgment. Uh, And, of course, uh, Jesus talks a lot about judgment. The Bible as a whole talks a great deal about judgment, of consequences for our beliefs and actions. And uh, a loving God uh, gave his only begotten son to pay the penalty for our sins. It was a very costly love made necessary by our rebellion against the one true God of love. And so whoever holds this sort of vague idea that seems to be uh, involved here has not taken the New Testament seriously at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it's, it's a kind of wishful thinking. I think they uh, are, are, are taking a rather childish view uh, of, uh, of God and avoiding any uh, contemplation of consequences. Mm-hmm. Well, we just have a couple of minutes left, and where I started our interview was uh, me not being accurate with my understanding of Christian science. Maybe we can finish our time with a better understanding of it. Mary Baker Eddy started it, and is it Christian or science? Um, well, maybe you've heard the very old joke that Christian science is like grape nuts. No grapes, no nuts. <laughs> okay. Um, so... Uh, to, to answer your question in a, in a somewhat flippant way, no, Christian science is, is only nominally Christian. It does use the Bible, but but you cannot understand the Bible. You cannot understand the true nature of reality without the writings of Mary Baker Eddy, who is really the, the, the interpreter of reality for Christian scientists, especially her central work, uh, a book called Science and Health with Key to the Scriptures. Uh, she wrote it, quite a few other things, but but that really is the book on which all else depends. Uh, and so when we're talking about uh, uh, the, the nature of things in Christian science, we're saying that uh, we're, we're moving into kind of a uh, a version of Gnosticism. Mm-hmm. You are you are altering your relationship to reality based on. Uh, your, your your mental attitude. So if you view sin, sickness, and death as unreal, this is what Mrs. Eddy taught, uh, then uh, you can break 
their false power over you. And if you think that you have some illness, you can make it go away. And if you're not strongly disbelieving it enough, you can pay someone known as a Christian science practitioner. My grandmother was one uh, who will pray for you and deny the reality of your, your illness. And this goes back to uh, their idea that God is a father-mother sort of being, an impersonal principle of life and truth and intelligence and spirit, and that God is all that really exists. And mm-hmm. so, you're, you're, so the thing is to harmonize yourself with this all-good, all-loving, uh, benevolent uh, principle, and um, bad things should lose their power, should diminish yeah. in your life. I would like to get someone to pray and they can deny the reality of my hair loss. That's about it, um, as far as Christian science goes. Paul, thank you so much for doing the show. You're very welcome. It's been great Happy having to help you. help anytime. Yeah. Paul uh, Cardin's been my guest. His book is Christianity, Cults, and Religions, a side-by-side comparison of 20 cults, religions, and worldviews. If you missed any of the show, you're going to want to go back and hear it. It's been great. And uh, we're going to take a very short break and then bring on the amazing and beautiful Queens of the Roundtable. Be back in a minute. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.